Welcome to the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today for our episode, we have a conversation between Scott and Pastor Derwin Gray on race and the kingdom. Before we jump into the conversation between Scott and Derwin, I want to remind you as our listeners that we're going to be having an upcoming episode that's centered all around what you want to hear, your questions, what you'd like to see Scott unpack some more. Um, And so I want to remind you of the opportunity. If you have a question or something that you'd like to see Scott talk about more, send those my way to my email at crobbins at seminary.edu. Again, that's C Robbins, C R O B B I N S, at seminary.edu. And love to get to hear about what you think of the podcast and different things we might be able to talk about in the future. So, without further ado, here's Scott's conversation with Pastor Derwin Gray. Uh, today, we have with us Derwin Gray, a D Men student at Northern Seminary, a former NFL football player, and um, more importantly, uh, a husband and a father and a pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he is the pastor of Transformation Church, one of America's fastest growing churches. And I have uh, gotten to know Derwin through our class sessions, through uh, some phone calls, through conversations. And we are exceedingly happy to have him and honored to have him on our, uh, on our podcast today. And it comes at the right time because in the last two days we have watched on media, we've watched on TV, we've watched on uh, YouTube, wherever, the shooting of two African Americans by policemen where uh, from all, all of our ability to see what's going on, and of course we can't see everything, uh, this was a, a, a gross miscarriage of justice and the use of violence against African-Americans. And um, we are talking with Derwin today because of something that's very dear to his heart, and that is multi-racial churches, multi-ethnic churches, which Derwin has made a specialization uh, not only in his church ministry, but in his writing. Uh, I've gained a lot from his books, and he can talk about them if he wants. But I'd like to begin the question today with, uh, uh, with this to Derwin, because he's a good biblical scholar. Where in the Bible do you find the best biblical support for our multi-ethnic local churches? Well, before I uh, attempt to swim in those waters, let, let me just say, uh, Scott, thank you so much for not only being a friend, but uh, uh, you have helped me immensely, not not just as a scholar, that's that's secondary, but but your book, Jesus Creed, and your following books and our relationship has has helped make me uh, a greater disciple, uh, but also a greater lover of Jesus's church and to see the beauty uh, that the church can be um, in this world. And then secondly, the overwhelming majority of police officers do a fantastic job and we want to honor them. We want to salute them. But sufficient depravity touches every organization, including police officers. And being a police officer is difficult. Uh, as, a, as a black man in a country where black men uh, have had a hard time 
these times today are reminiscent of the days that my grandmother would tell me about mm. in Texas, where black men would be lynched with no accountability, no repercussions. And uh, there appears to be a great fear of black men and a profiling of black men. And once again, I want to reiterate the police officers, for the most part, do a great job. Transformation Church has a relationship with the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department of North Carolina, the Indianland Police Department in South Carolina. We actually bought uh, those men and w women uh, a gym to work out, and we support our police officers. But the militarization of policing has to change. It has to change. Um, so... My heart is grieving deeply today because what happens if I'm pulled over and I'm asked to reach for my license or Lord forbid that my 15 year old son, who even though he's he's half white, um, you know, has uh, brown skin. Uh, is he viewed as a threat just simply because of the way he looks? Um, so we need prayer, but we also need mobilization and we need action. I think churches can play a big part. And then thirdly, we need the voice of, of white evangelicals to say something, um, to speak about it, uh, to ignore our racist past in our country doesn't make it go away. Um, we need to gospel this. And as a book, Matter of fact, a great book would be called King Jesus Gospel. Somebody should write that. Uh, the King the, the King Jesus Gospel is not simply, I get to go to heaven when I die. It's about embodying the kingdom of God on earth while we, are, while we live so others can see life in Christ. So, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I long for a day that we don't even have to use the word multi-ethnic church because for, for Jesus, for the early apostles, mm -hmm. for the apostle Paul, multi-ethnic church was the ecclesia. That was the church. Like multi-ethnic church was not one model amongst many models. Uh, the gospel <laughs> was the reconciliation of humanity, Jew and Gentile vertically to God. And then that same gospel, through the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the spirit of Christ, creates these congregations that were Jew and Gentile. Of course, Jews are Jews in their diversity, and then Gentiles were Gentiles in their diversity, from Greek to barbarian to, to Scythian. Um, so the church was able, through the life, death, resurrection of Christ, ascension of Christ, descendant of the spirit, to create an alternative community that, as N.T. Wright says, does something that Nero could never do, bring together Jews and Gentiles to be a people. And, yeah. and so multi-ethnic church isn't something that's new. It's something that's always been true. And so I want to be a part of bringing back what God's original heartbeat was. So as far as text, I, you know, go to Genesis 12, 3, uh, or 12, 1 through 3, where God says, <clears throat> Abraham, through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. And then the Apostle Paul, being a Jew himself, picks up on that in Galatians 3, where he says the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham that all of the nations would be blessed. 
And so the work of Christ was so that the eternal kind of life of Christ would be exhibited in Jews and Gentiles who would be the new people of God embodying the message and hope of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So Genesis 12, Galatians 3, uh, the beginning, Galatians 3.28, Colossians 3.11, such rich biblical support. And you've just made what I think is a stunning point is that there is nothing new about a multi-ethnic church. That's as old as the church gets. But it is. But you know as well as I do that racism uh, characterizes the church throughout the world. It characterizes the church in the United States, North and South. It characterizes the world, probably. And so uh, I am particularly appreciative of you, Darwin, in your church in, uh, in Charlotte, where you have worked consciously and intentionally to build a multi-ethnic church. So can you tell us a little bit of the story of your church and how you work toward a multi-ethnic culture? Yeah, so uh, Transformation Church, uh, which folks can find, uh, just Google Transformation Church, was actually birthed in uh, the providence of God because my wife and I, she was from Montana, she was unchurched, I was from San Antonio, Texas, I was unchurched, we meet at a Mormon school. BYU. We're both athletes there. Uh, We meet my freshman year. We've been together ever since. Uh, I get drafted to the NFL. I think I've made it only to realize that money and fame couldn't fix uh, a broken heart. It couldn't fix the things I needed to be forgiven of. It couldn't fix the fear that I lived in. And so eventually through a teammate, I came to faith. My wife came to faith through a lady at her job. And so I played uh, five years with the Colts, came to faith August 2nd, 1997, then got to be a free agent with the Carolina Panthers. And after the 1998 season, my my wife and I both felt like our season of playing in the NFL was over. And we didn't know what we were going to do. I got invited to speak at a youth event. I didn't want to go because I was a compulsive stutterer. But I sensed God saying, if I can raise my son from the dead, I can raise your tongue to talk. (laughs) And I went and I shared the gospel and a bunch of kids got saved. And then people just started asking me to come and speak. And after about five years of doing that, my wife and I both grew frustrated because everywhere I would preach, it was either all white or all black. Mm. Yet when we were uh, outside of the church, our lives were very ethnically integrated. The nightclubs we used to party in were diverse. My football teams were diverse. The military was diverse. Corporate America was diverse. All of America was diverse. And the most segregated place in America was the church. And I began to ask questions and I got lousy answers. None of them were biblical. So we sense God saying, don't criticize, create. And so that was the birth of Transformation Church. We launched August, uh, or we launched February 7, 2010. And on our first service, 701 people showed up. And ever since then, uh, we've been growing uh, exponentially. And we're not a church growth model, um, but God has seen fit to bless us with explosive growth. Last year, nearly a thousand people came to faith. We baptized nearly 400. We've got four campuses, two two of which are in prisons, and we're beginning the stages of opening up two more. 
in female prisons as well. And, and, and so God's good hand of grace has been upon us, but we have been intentionally centered on the gospel, that we are good news people, that the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Christ, the sending of the spirit, not only forms disciples who are connected to the father vertically, but who also create the kingdom of God, every nation, tribe, and tongue on earth horizontally. And so if your demographics don't allow for ethnic diversity, I get that. But most churches and metropolitan areas in the United States, it's not an issue of can you be diverse? It's an issue, am I willing to mm. learn how to be diverse? Mm. As Paul says, for the sake of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. So what we do is for the sake of the gospel. Um, I want to join you, Scott, in obliterating uh, this half gospel that is just forgiveness of sins. You go to heaven when, when you die. The Jesus that I know, the one who walked out of the empty tomb that I know accomplished more than just, uh, as uh, Dallas Willard would say, uh, uh, barcode Christianity. You get you, you get scanned and you go to heaven when you die. That that the gospel brings justice. The gospel brings righteousness. The gospel brings a people who become the hands and feet of Christ. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. Yeah. Oh well, Derwin, you were preaching there. <laughs> I was uh, yeah. I'm waiting for Thank your you. ask people to raise their hands. Uh, <laughs> Derwin, in uh, in the construction or the building, the creation through the power of God and through your uh, opportunity in Charlotte, uh, you've worked on this multi-ethnic church. I wonder, in your experience, uh, in these few years that your church is exploding in growth, I wonder what you think are the three biggest challenges that you have experienced in, in creating a multi-ethnic church. The three biggest challenges are, number one, um, a lack of understanding of what the gospel accomplishes. And so I've written a book called The High Definition Leader, Building Multi-Ethnic Churches in a Multi-Ethnic World, which you were kind enough to endorse. And we need to understand what the gospel means. In uh, your book, King Jesus Goes Towards That, your book, Fellowship of D difference goes towards that as well. As a matter of fact, I would encourage your readers to read your book, Fellowship of Difference, and my book, The High Definition Leader, side by side. And I think that would equip them theologically, ecclesiologically, and from a missiological perspective of what the gospel accomplishes. So I, I think, number one, it's gospel ignorance. Number two hmm. is we've allowed individualism and consumerism and the homogeneous unit principle to dictate church. In other words, uh, church in America is like a business and we have a product to sell and we identify customers that we want to reach. And that's wrong. Uh, when we were planting Transformation Church, church planners kept asking me, who is your target market? And I would say human beings. And they would go, well, what kind? I would, I would go, White sinners, black sinners, Asian sinners, Latino sinners, um, <laughs> rich, poor, middle class, gay, lesbian, transgender. I'm trying to reach every human being that's ever been created in the image of God because I believe God longs for them to be a part of his family and I'm going to join him. The gospel does not give me, the gospel does not give me a right to discriminate 
who I'm going to reach. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't say, I'm going to die for a white suburban church or a, a black urban church. He said, I'm dying for the world. And if that's what he said, then I'm going to join him no matter what the cost is. Mm-hmm. And so, and so number two is even we as pastors and leaders have fallen prey to Jesus is a product. How can we best shape him to give him away? And then number three is we've allowed a racialized America to influence us more than the church of Jesus Christ and its goal. And what I mean by, by that is America was founded on slavery. It was founded on the eradication of Native Americans. Don't get me wrong. I love my country. I love it. Would not want to be anywhere else in the world. But we also have to look at the negative parts. Mm-hmm. My, my daughter and I spent the 4th of Ju- July with the Salish people of the Flathead Nation here in Montana. And we wanted to experience how do they celebrate the independence of America? You know, it's it's not all so good for them, but yet they were proud of their heritage. They were proud to be Americans. But <clears throat> every black denomination in America was started because of racism. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done is we've continued to allow ethnocentrism to dictate how we do church. And so questions that even as pastors and leaders of denominations and congregations, the questions we ask are, what kind of music do they have? And and what style are they? And those are the wrong questions. Mm -hmm. Listen, if Jay-Z, Beyonce, and Justin Timberlake can have concerts that are diverse, why can't the church? And we've got the power of the living God. So that's what you try to do in your book, The Fellowship of difference. And that's what I try to do in my book, The High Definition Leader, Building Multi-Ethnic Churches in a Multi-Ethnic World. And one of the things that I do as well is I host roundtables that are very intimate and small, about 25, the pastors and their wives or pastors and their husbands. And we do a two-day training because we want to multiply what the Lord is doing at Transformation Church. And here's why. Um, The people of God have always existed to display the glory of God through the way they love each other and the way that they care for the world. Uh, It's the Jesus Creed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so churches like Transformation Church can be a prophetic witness to the goodness and grace of God. And I want to see this multiplied. I, I think the devil is pretty satisfied with, yeah, continue to have your homogeneous churches where the problems of this world for other people are not yours. And I believe that the church is called to do more than that. And you look at the life of Christ, Matthew 8. He heals a leper who was marginalized. Then he heals a centurion's servant, a Gentile. Then he heals a woman. Uh, Those are marginalized people in the first century, second temple Jewish context. Jesus uh, wants to reach the marginalized, but you, but if but if the church is obsessed with power and influence, then they're not going to care. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I think we have a long way to go, but I'm hopeful because the God I know rose from the dead. He's the conquering king. And, and so uh, I believe that Jesus and you against anything, you have an advantage. You know, uh, Derwin, uh, what you're saying here, I mean, you've commented on my fellowship of difference. 
but your HD leader, high definition leader, uh, has the kind of uh, authentic stories coming out of a single church with that same vision that takes, I think, Fellowship of Difference to a different level. Uh, and so I, I want to commend that book. Um, but I, I also want to I want to uh, enhance something you're saying. I think Paul's world was every bit as racially or ethnically divided as ours. Jews mm -hmm. and Gentiles, Jews and Romans, Jews and Greeks did not always work together well. In fact, the way of putting it is Jews saw most Gentiles, most Jews saw most Gentiles as just hopeless pagans. So when Paul takes this vision into, uh, you know, he, he gets it in, he, he starts developing it in Tarsus, but he ends up in central Turkey, Pisidian, Antioch, like, you know, uh, Lystra. He ends up in Ephesus. He ends up in Athens. He ends up in Corinth and Philippi and Thessaloniki. He ends up in these places that are hotbeds for Gentiles and not exactly the greatest situation for Jews. And so Paul's vision and Paul's attempt is every bit the struggle, if not even more than what we face today. So we're looking at a New Testament that is saying, I've been there. I've done it. Come join me, and uh, that's what I see. Uh, that's what I see Paul doing, and I'm and I'm quite happy to say I'm really proud of what you're doing there in Charlotte, uh, Derwin. Well, well, uh, we're we're getting we're you. getting toward the end of our uh, our time here. I wanna I wanna give you an opportunity uh, to speak to leaders in churches, to people who listen to this podcast, uh, advice for people you know, maybe even your top two pieces of advice for people in churches who realize that their church is too mono-ethnic, too mono-racial, and they want to expand the church to look like the people of God in the world rather than just a reflection of our society and our racisms that are, are have become systemic. So, so what kind of advice would you give uh, our listeners today, Derwin? The first thing that I would say is don't get comfortable with what you define as success. In today's evangelical context, success means people attend on Sunday, you meet your budget, you baptize a few folks, and you know maybe you give bottled water to the poor and your Sunday school classes or small groups are full. Uh, redefine success around the New Testament. And for Paul, success was God made a covenant with Abraham that all the nations would be blessed. Christ is the seed that brings forth the blessing. And out of that seed births a new people, Jew and Gentile. And they become the new community of God, the new people of God on the mission of God, fueled by the worship of God. And when you pick up your cross and follow mm -hmm. Jesus, that's hard work. And when you began to do this work, uh, racism is going to be exposed. Ethnocentrism is going to be exposed and numbers may decline. Budgets may not get met, but you will be successful according to the New Testament, according to the Bible, according to the sake of the gospel. And then number two is learn. Uh, I've written a book. Scott's written a book. Learn. And once this gets into your DNA, you will not be satisfied 
with a mono-ethnic church, when you see the beauty and the power of every nation, tribe, and tongue. And let me add this thirdly. Multi-ethnic churches accelerate and enhance your discipleship because you're always uncomfortable and you're learning to listen and not talk so, so much. You're learning a different perspective. And so what happens is the gospel is like this multifaceted diamond and each ethnicity and social economic class allows mm-hmm. a different aspect of Jesus to shine that enhances your life. You know, I, as you were talking here, uh, Derwin, I was I was thinking of Paul's uh, over-the-top statement in Colossians chapter 1 when probably quoting a hymn. He says, God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in Christ. Okay, now that's, that's over-the-top. He, he's thinking that all of Godness is in yeah. Christ. And through this person in whom God dwells, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated. So he's talking to Colossians in the Lycus Valley. Uh, by the way, we were just there, and it's nothing but a hill uh, covered. Yeah. We need to get the archaeologists uh, busy, and, and that means the university uh, which has already approved some archaeologists from uh, Australia to do the work. We need to get them freeing up the budget in that direction. But Paul sees these Gentiles and he says, you know, God's reconciling you. And we know in the vision of Book of Revelation that all nations, all tongues are going to be brought before the Lamb uh, on the throne. Uh, they're going to be worshiping. And it is a betrayal of the gospel a betrayal of the kingdom and a betrayal of the vision of God when we don't begin to live into that reality now, because it is true. You can go into the inner city and find African-Americans who are Christians, and you can go to the suburbs and find whites who are Christians, but their connection is tenuous and maybe even non-existent. And that is a betrayal of what God is doing in the world because we can exhibit to the world. And even in settings We can exhibit to the world what God wants for all people, and that is reconciliation. And even in settings right now where we are seeing in the United States awful displays of violence against African-Americans, the church can stand up and say, this is not what God wants for his people, and we are going to stand against injustice and stand for justice and stand with our African-American brothers and sisters who are experiencing systemic violence and evil in our world. And that's that's nothing other than an extension of the gospel of reconciling all things through Christ to God. Amazing. Amen. And that's what we've Amen. got. <laughs> well, brother, yeah. it's always great to get to talk to you. We'll miss you next week, but um, I've got I've got plenty of things for you to read by the time uh, your week will be done. <laughs> And uh, well, uh, yeah, and 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 I'm really uh, grateful that you were willing to spend time with us today. Uh, I know your heart is grieving about what's happening in the United States, uh, but I think you've got your your head around the right vision here. Is that what God is doing in Christ is what can help solve some of these issues as well. So thank you. Thank you, my friend. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay. Guys. Thanks, Darwin. Thanks. 
Well, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Pastor Derwin Gray. If you're interested in Derwin's book, The High Definition Leader, I've included a link to that in our show notes below, as well as where you can find and interact with Derwin on Twitter and Facebook. Also, thanks so much if you've taken the time uh, to review and or share on social media uh, what we're doing with Kingdom Roots here. That's really helpful for us as we try to spread the very important message of why the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. I wanted to remind you one last time, if you got any questions, please send them my way to crobbins at seminary.edu for that upcoming listener ask questions. Um, but until next time, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you then.